This week on Viewpoints. We need to be doing a heck of a lot of both of these things if we want to really create a world where we aren't constantly plagued by escalating climate disasters. The escalating weather extremes across the globe. Then... ASMR, mukbang, these are sort of these trends that certainly no one inside YouTube was trying to make huge, but they just went in that direction that the company didn't really predict. The evolution of YouTube. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Join Macy's and Hispanic Federation to support student growth and mentoring now during Hispanic Heritage Month. Now through October 15th, you can help empower youth through education and training programs when you donate online to Hispanic Federation or round up your Macy's store purchase up to 99 cents and donate the extra change. Give back today, shop Hispanic and Latino-owned brands, and find out how we're creating brighter futures for all at macy's.com purpose. Wendy's new French toast sticks are so delicious, some are saying that they're better than their mom's breakfast. Excuse me, did you just say Wendy's new French toast sticks are better than my breakfast? Mom, is that you? Answer the question. I said some people are saying that because they're so crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside and perfect in every way. Uh Uh-huh. And what do you think? I think it's time to tell people to choose wisely. Choose Wendy's new sweet and crispy homestyle French toast sticks. That's still not an answer. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Earlier this spring and summer, Pakistan was hit with a series of intense heat waves. In May, sweltering temperatures topped 123 degrees in some parts. This unusual and prolonged extreme heat, coupled with low rainfall, caused water shortages and killed off thousands of crops. Fast forward to last month and the nation again saw extreme weather, except this time it was record flooding. For eight weeks straight, there was non-stop rain, leading to one-third of all land submerged in water, according to Pakistan's National Disaster Management Authority. And it didn't end there. Powerful walls of waves and strong currents swept away homes, cars, and people. Over a million houses were damaged, and the death toll from this flooding has now exceeded 1,500 people. A third of those killed were children. In the wake of this dangerous heat and devastating flooding, Pakistanis are struggling to pick up the pieces, and they're not alone. The heat that started there then was also present in China. They had the most severe heat wave on record and also one of the most severe droughts. So they too have been having to really cut back on their hydropower generation. And while that's going on in Asia, over in Europe, They had unprecedented record-breaking heat and drought that started at the beginning of the year and has continued right on to present. Fortunately, getting a little rain in August, but it's still really dire in Europe. That's Jonathan Overpeck, a climate scientist and the dean of the School for Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan. Even thousands of miles from these tragic events, here at home in the western U.S., The shifting climate is also having dire impacts. There is a drought going on there that has gone on for 23 years, and it is the worst drought in recorded history, recorded by instrumental records. 
It is something we call a mega drought because it's lasted over two decades. It is the first mega drought that the United States has experienced since the country was founded. It is being driven largely by the intersection of natural climate variability and climate change. So climate change is making it much worse, both in terms of reducing the precipitation that's falling across much of the Southwest, but also in terms of the warmer temperatures that we now have, which are causing things to dry out much more severely than they would have decades ago. This summer, especially California and other surrounding Western states have been engulfed in extreme heat and drought. Now, some experts are warning that the area is at an increased risk of catastrophic flooding in the near future. One researcher that's sounding the alarm is Daniel Swain, a climate scientist at the University of California, Los Angeles, and the Nature Conservancy. Swain studies how global warming factors into increasing regional climate extremes. The number one thing that matters, both with respect to the risk of increasing extreme precipitation events and intensifying droughts, sometimes in the same places, is the fact that as the atmosphere warms, its ability to hold water vapor increases exponentially, even for relatively steady incremental linear warming. And so as that water vapor holding capacity of the atmosphere increases, it essentially makes the atmosphere act like an increasingly large sponge with each degree of warming. What that means in practice is that the ceiling on how intense precipitation can become is rising rapidly, right along with that exponential increase in the water vapor holding capacity. And in other words, even if precipitation isn't increasing on average, the very most intense precipitation events are becoming more intense. And it's not just flooding that gets more severe as temperatures rise. Swain says that water shortages are also worsening because of this warmer atmosphere that's able to hold on to more moisture. By virtue of being a bigger sponge, it can also absorb more water from the landscape. And so the increased water vapor holding capacity of the atmosphere, unless you're getting a lot more precipitation on average, which in places like California and the Southwest were not, that drives increased evaporative demand. Essentially, it increases the propensity of the atmosphere to act as that giant sponge extracting more and more water from the landscape, evaporating water from the soil, from bodies of water, and melting snowpack. Overpeck points out that the flooding in Pakistan was especially intense because it's also home to a large number of glaciers. Because of the Himalayan mountains, there are more glaciers in Pakistan than just about any other country outside of the polar regions. Because of all this early warming in Pakistan, starting as early as March and April, these glaciers were melting much harder and faster than ever before. And that meltwater coincided with the summer monsoon. So you had this one-two punch of unusually volumes of meltwater from the glaciers coinciding with this unusually climate change supercharged monsoon. And that completely flooded the whole country like it's never seen before. And this is a kind of disaster that will befall Pakistan over and over. But it will also see it in other parts of Asia where the glaciers and the monsoon are interacting. And of course, even where there are no glaciers, we're going to see 
unusually severe rainfall and flooding. In light of these new challenges, experts like Swain are mapping out solutions that involve both climate adaptation and climate mitigation. So, what's the difference between these two strategies, and is one more important than the other? Climate mitigation being reducing greenhouse gas emissions, eventually bringing them to zero to solve the underlying problem of global warming, which is caused by the increasing concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, primarily caused by humans. Climate adaptation being essentially learning to live to a certain extent with the kinds of changes that we've already seen in the world with respect to climate and extreme events and the changes that we're likely to see in the next few decades as the earth continues to warm. So one is solving the underlying problem and one is making the underlying problem less bad by reducing the consequences of it. We need to be doing a heck of a lot of both of these things if we want to really create a world where we aren't constantly plagued by escalating climate disasters. And it kind of feels like that's where we're starting to head right now. We're working from behind the curve in both respects. We haven't done enough mitigation or enough adaptation at this point. Take California, for example. Swain says scientists are developing climate adaptation solutions that help manage both the risks of severe drought and severe flooding facing the region. One key approach is to store more water in underground aquifers. This might mean moving water well in advance of a flood into areas where it can recharge by gradually percolating back into those aquifers. That gives us a little bit more breathing room because we can keep reservoir levels lower, which is safer when the big storms come because it means you just have more headroom, more flood control space to work with. So there are some things we could potentially do that would benefit both a drought resilience and flood resilience in the same adaptation strategy. It's solutions like these that can help with the effects of climate change in the short term. But the reality is that humans may have to abandon certain cities and regions as the climate evolves and the land becomes unlivable. In the end, both Swain and Overpeck agree that human engineering and climate adaptation are not enough alone. More widespread solutions that mitigate future climate change must be taken. There's real hope here. What we just have to do as humankind is switch over to the renewable energy and the clean tech solutions that will stop climate change. We have to do this faster because the longer it takes, the more rainfall will intensify, the more droughts and heat waves will get worse. So it's really on us to accelerate our actions to stop climate change. To find out more about this topic and our guests, Jonathan Overpeck and Daniel Swain, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaverin. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, talking about the OG video sharing platform, YouTube, when Viewpoints returns. Moments like watching my grandson steal second mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclip. 
Ibrand's 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for postmenopausal women or for men with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrand's and visit Ibrand's.com. Ibrand's may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrand's may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrand's, tell your doctor if you have fever. Fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Join Macy's and Hispanic Federation to support student growth and mentoring now during Hispanic Heritage Month. Now through October 15th, you can help empower youth through education and training programs when you donate online to Hispanic Federation or round up your Macy's store purchase up to 99 cents and donate the extra change. Give back today, shop Hispanic and Latino-owned brands, and find out how we're creating brighter futures for all at Macy's.com purpose. Imagine buying a pair of sneakers and getting a soothing, gentle foot massage like you'd get during a relaxing pedicure just by walking. Skechers' new Massage Fit Sneakers. Because Skechers, the comfort technology company, has designed a unique innovation that makes it feel like you're pampering your feet with a gentle massage in every step. The secret is Skechers' new patented wave technology on the sole that gently massages your feet while you're walking around. Find them for men and women at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. YouTube currently has more than 2 billion active users around the world. This equates to about a quarter of the Earth's population frequenting the platform. While the idea behind YouTube seems like a no-brainer today, go back to early 2005 and it was unlike anything else on the Internet. Facebook had been founded only a year before, and MySpace was the primary social media site for user-generated content. To fill this void, Three friends who previously worked at PayPal together created a site called YouTube. The idea was that anyone could upload video content with the click of a button. There were a few online videos and there were big companies like Microsoft, Google, venturing into digital video. What YouTube figured out was a really easy and accessible way for people to upload and share and watch. And then they kind of lucked into this concept that people were willing to watch not just stuff that was on TV and popular personalities, but homemade amateur video. That's Mark Bergen, a business journalist for Bloomberg and Business Week, and the author of the new book, Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Bergen notes that part of YouTube's long-term success is its early link-up with Google. Less than a year after its official launch, the founders sold the site to the tech giant in 2006 for $1.65 billion. As YouTube flourished in the coming decades, so did the variety of videos on its platform. From music videos to makeup tutorials, the idea is that there's something for everyone. If you enjoy watching video game streams, try YouTube gaming. Want to watch videos of influencers eating countless different foods? Search for mukbangs. No matter the genre, the end goal is to produce content that captures a lot of views and, in turn, a lot of revenue. But this can lead down a slippery slope. 
For example, shopping hauls have long been a trend on YouTube. Creators go out and buy clothes or other items and then sit down in front of the camera explaining what they bought. Viewers can then purchase these exact items through links in the video's description box. There are critics that have pointed out, you know, some of the most popular YouTube videos for kids have been toy unboxing videos, and they're kind of been equated to like 20 minute long commercials. So we on television in around the 70s and 80s, there was a big movement, like the Sesame Street movement, basically like, well, we need this is a powerful medium where kids are watching broadcast TV and they push for regulation that said there should be a certain time allocated for educational programming. You should limit advertising because kids aren't maybe necessarily able to discern between what's an ad and what's programming. You can only have a certain amount of promotions inside of TV shows. And there are also rules about child labor laws. Like none of that exists on YouTube. And this type of constant consumer-driven content also caters to teens and adults. According to a Pew Research study published earlier this month, 95% of teens use YouTube. TikTok came in second place with 67% of teens saying they use the app. With such a large audience, sensationalized videos where YouTubers buy extravagant cars or spend thousands of dollars in one luck shopping trip can reap in hundreds of thousands of views. You go on it. Every YouTube channel will tell you to do this. It will tell you to buy something. It is such a platform that's oriented toward commerce and scale. I think there's a little bit of pushback to that right now. But that's been what has been the most successful videos on YouTube are the ones that can kind of raise the noise of the fray. Bergen says that YouTube has long struggled to create a balance on its platform between these entertaining, consumerism-laden videos and more quality-driven educational videos. He highlights that the site's algorithm itself is flawed because it props up videos that are similar to what people are already watching. To counter this, the company is working to create new education-focused partnerships, but only time will tell if this strategy succeeds. They just launched recently this really interesting new education service trying to sell into schools, an area where they've struggled to get they've tried in the past. And so one of the points they make in the book is that they really blew this opportunity to foster a lot of these educational creators. And my hope is that this could look differently that being said, you know, they're competing with TikTok and a lot of the videos that compete with TikTok, that kind of content is not necessarily educational, right? It's just eye candy. There's no doubt that YouTube is filled with creators who are producing informative, high-quality content. You can essentially type in anything you want to learn about and see it explained in video form. Want to learn a new language or how to sew? There are countless creators focused on exactly these topics. The hard part is making these videos more visible to the average viewer who may not be specifically seeking them out. One recent rollout to improve visibility is YouTube Shorts, which mimics the format of TikTok videos. The algorithm for Shorts focuses on boosting creators who don't have a large following. What's interesting about YouTube Shorts and TikTok is that they're not necessarily the big stars. I think YouTube is sort of seen as a very crowded place now, and it's hard to break through unless you have a large audience. So shorts is a bit more unpredictable. And so I feel like in some ways, the trends on YouTube might be moving in directions that we can't even expect. Although some creators and viewers are moving to TikTok or Twitch, citing that YouTube is dead, the numbers paint a different story. Revenue on YouTube is only growing, with ad sales totaling $28 billion last year. 
Many other social media sites are trying to learn from this success. After all, YouTube has been in the game for almost two decades, and a lot has changed during that time. Go look at Instagram today. It's obviously trying to become like TikTok. Your feed is no longer your friends and family. It is influencers you don't know. It is celebrities or people that with like popular posts. And then the, the companies are trying to really seize the business model that YouTube created where they built the systems to share revenue as a way to continue growing. Bergen says that YouTube has long faced criticism for its inability to respond preemptively to problems plaguing the site. One big current focus is to increase inclusiveness and make YouTube a safer place to be online. They put in a lot of rules around misinformation, around harassment and bullying, around hate speech that didn't exist a few years ago. And that is in response to pressure, both from their employee base, people who speak out on this, from the press and from regulators, which is their chief concern. And so the history of the companies, they respond and from their advertisers as well, they respond and make changes when they're forced to do so. And they're now under the threat of regulation in a way that they've never been before. So they are an extremely cautious company, but I think they're, you're going to see them continue to push and say, you know, we have educational material. We are sort of a responsible platform. And in many ways, what they're saying without saying it is like, well, we're not Facebook. And so I think you're going to continue to see them do that. While so many people are talking about TikTok and the rise of shorter, quicker videos, there will always be a place for long-form content, and that's YouTube. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Mark Bergen, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri, studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrantz, palbociclib. Ibrantz 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for postmenopausal women or for men with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrantz and visit Ibrantz.com. Ibrantz may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrantz may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrantz, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. This is Viewpoints Explained. I'm Ebony McMorris. Are Americans burnt out from the constant lineup of new smartphones? Earlier this month, Apple unveiled their latest model, the iPhone 14. The new release means a larger screen option with the iPhone 14 Plus, an improved overall performance and battery life. However, early pre-order sales have fallen short of expectations. Some experts are pointing to the fact that the iPhone 14 is very similar to its predecessor. Most of the hardware specs, from the display to the camera, are largely still the same, but come with a higher price point. The lowest tier phone in the new series costs $799. This is a high price tag for many Americans 
who are spending less amidst inflation and an uncertain economy. Not to mention that this month's Apple event is only the beginning. Google, who makes the competing Pixel phone, is expected to unveil their newest line next month on Thursday, October the 6th. How will demand stack up in comparison to Apple? Many manufacturers are anxiously awaiting to see if consumers buy into all the hype. That's Viewpoints Explained for this week. More in a moment. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. Do you wish you had a higher tolerance for horror movies and TV, but you always find yourself being a little too afraid for your own good? Netflix may have just released the show for you. Netflix's Devil in Ohio tells the story of a young woman who recently escaped from a cult and moves in with a normal suburban family when bad luck begins to strike members of that family. The show is definitely horror adjacent, but it never goes full horror. The series is based on the novel of the same name, and it's clearly inspired by Stephen King novels and other mainstream horror. At times, it's even reminiscent of other Netflix horror series like The Haunting at Hill House or Midnight Mass. But like I said, it never fully goes there. It's tense and scary, and at times some very violent things occur, but the show doesn't dwell on any of those gore or slasher themes. In fact, I struggle to think of a single scene that would give a viewer nightmares or make it hard for them to tiptoe through their house at night that's any worse than something you'd see on Cold Case or Law & Order. Devlin, Ohio is a twisty, turny, clever show that can satiate that horror genre itch without scaring the bejesus out of you. At times, it feels more like a network show than a streaming show, even despite its TV-mature rating. For those of us with a bit higher tolerance for horror content, Devil in Ohio is still a fun ride and a great way to gear up in September for the truly scary content that I'm sure we'll be watching come spooky season next month. Devil in Ohio is now streaming on Netflix. I'm Evan Rook. I absolutely love my dog, but the constant shedding, not so much. But then I got a Swiffer Sweeper pet kit, and it is amazing. These super thick cloths pick up a crazy amount of hair. Just look at all that. And that was from just one swipe. And the best part? Sweeper's so much easier to maneuver than a broom or a vacuum, easily getting around chairs and under the couch. You're right. Now I can focus on you, not your shedding. Swiffer Sweeper Pet Kit. Because shed happens. Everyone, who's manning the front tonight? Biggie's nightclub needs a bouncer with a military background. Dougie, I need you to keep eyes on the back. Security who lays down the no-no when the uns-uns get too intense. That Swedish DJ duo is back tonight. Y'all remember last time. Indeed can help them hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. You can schedule and conduct virtual interviews all from your employer dashboard. Visit indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. And that's Viewpoints for this week. 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.